0: Welcome back to In the Queue: Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Andrew. And after watching this film, the only thing that I want to do is check into a crappy hotel, order some spaghetti and meatballs,
1: and just eat it slowly. Yeah, yeah that in my bathrobe. It really makes you want to do that, doesn't it? <laughs> it, no, not no. make you want to never ever do that again, does it? <laughs> um this is Phil, your other co-host, and today's movie actually we'll discuss its its merits. Uh I, I don't doubt it. But no matter what we say, this type of movie is one of my favorite type of movies that I Ooh. have ever and will ever see.
0: Oh. Oh yeah.
1: All right. I'm
0: very interested in unpacking that. Uh the movie that we're talking about is a film from, I guess it was, hit the festival circuit in 2014, but it didn't get a theatrical release until this year. A recent film, hmm. a recent film by the name of Buzzard, hmm. uh, directed by Joel But Patricus or Patrykis. Uh
1: Polish, isn't it? Uh, it looks it looks like it probably is. No, then you're supposed to say it's white Russian. Didn't you guys see the movie? Come on.
0: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, I see. Well, the second the second time he gets asked that question, he's just sort of gets a- angry and looks mad, <laughs> yeah. Instead of actually answering it,
1: I see. Okay, that's your excuse.
0: So yeah, I'm over here looking angry and mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie was recommended to us by Jeff, who's a guest on the show today to talk about it. Jeff, say hi to everybody. Hello, returning champion. Hiya. <laughs> uh, but before we get into talking about the film, I want to tell you how to find us on the web. Mm. You can find us by going to our blog, which is at www.in-the-q. That's the letter q.com. There you can find all of our episodes posted, as well as some additional supplemental material and a comment section. We invite you to go to that comment section and leave suggestions for films you would like to come on the show and talk about. Hmm. Uh, and you could be just like Jeff. You could be. You could live the life he's living, Leaving? <laughs> leaving? <Leave. laughs> oh.
1: Living, hopefully. Oh, dear.
0: Living, yeah, definitely. Um, You can do the same thing on our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and you search for In The Q, Q Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, you will find our page. You can like that, and then we will start populating your feed, Mm -hmm. and you can leave us suggestions there as well. They're not just suggestions of films, but suggestions for the podcast in general. Any thoughts that you have, we'd love to hear them. Then, lastly, you can find us on iTunes, by searching for In The Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can subscribe to our podcast, get it delivered directly to you every single episode. You can go all the way back to episode one if you want to. It's all there. Lastly, and I will remember it this time, Oh, my Phil, God.
1: I can't believe it.
0: We have a Twitter account. Yes. It's at iTQ Podcast, and uh, that is where we uh, tweet out... Uh, the episodes and uh, some supplemental links and various different things that uh, might help deepen your appreciation for the film itself that we might be talking about. Yeah. So uh, check us out on Twitter, follow us, we'll follow you, and uh, let's have a, a grand old time out there on the web. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, as I said, the film that we are talking about is Joel Petrikas' Buzzard, mm-hmm. Um just to give you a – I'll give you a brief summary of the uh, plot, and then, Jeff, you can give us a good idea of why this is a film that you wanted to talk about. Uh, the film is about a, a young man by the name of Marty Jakutanski, mm-hmm. who is uh, – he's like a small-time – Scam artist. Scam, yeah. He's, he's really just like a – he's a, a, a petty criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who has sort of, he's got this kind of boring office job and he kind of uh, goes through the drudgery of everyday life and, uh, and makes his way by reselling office supplies and, uh, you know, spending a lot of time playing video games and like having conversations with his very strange co-worker. Uh, Who's also uh, the
1: writer-director.
0: Who is also the writer-director, right, yeah. That... His name is Derek in the film. He, well, I who's... was watching
1: the movie. I was like, is he? Could he be? And then and then by the end when I saw the credits, I was like, of course. How could I have ever doubted <laughs> why... that? Yeah, why did you ever doubt yeah. yourself?
0: Ridiculous. Um, so Marty Jakutansky, uh is pulling off these scams, uh, cashing other people's checks that are given to him, all this kind of fun stuff. And uh grows increasingly paranoid over the course of the film that people are hip to what it is that he's doing or that they will soon become hip to what he's doing. And, uh, he sort of flees and goes on an adventure Mm.
2: of,
0: of sorts, uh, around Detroit, uh, trying to stay ahead of the law or at least ahead of human resources. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and, it's it's a it's a fascinating kind of film but before we get into the actual conversation Jeff tell us why this is a film that you picked to talk about
2: Well uh mostly because I want people to see it uh mm. I you know this it got a little bit of attention when it came out but I I don't think it's it's quite been uh sort of tossed around as one of the the more notable movies of 2015 and um you know I, there's there's a lot of stuff from this year that I haven't caught up with, but this probably is my favorite movie of twenty fifteen so oh, far okay um oh, nice. and uh it's it's such a just a weird little movie, and like certain things <laughs> about it like really sort of hit me where I live uh just would 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 y'all think I was psycho if I said I kind of related to this movie a little bit no <laughs>
1: like... I wouldn't think you were psycho, but um I actually suspected jeff that you might relate to the the job that he has uh because i actually me me and jeff actually did have the same job for a period of eight months um before i left the job um (laughs) did you still work there by the way yeah i do yeah so it's a similar kind of office environment where you deal with i believe the the term that his boss uses is like Undeliverables or something. She hands him the stack of paychecks, and he's supposed to do these like cold calls to find out information about these people. And it's exactly the kind of thing that makes uh, reasonable or or reasonably sane people uncomfortable, knowing that they have to make these (laughs) these cold calls to find out information about this type of thing. And it was just uh, luckily we didn't really have any coworkers. Who I found it to be as obnoxious <laughs> as uh, Derek. Sure, um, but like there's,
2: and it's a great example of scumbag cinema, which is something I, yeah. I always like. You know, I
1: think, uh, I think that might be the term that would describe what I was trying to say in the open. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I was curious what you meant by that, and, well, and this this is a great example of scumbag cinema.
1: What I meant by that, I'll go ahead and say, is is maybe not so much movies about you know scumbags. As, as movies about drifters, people mm-hmm. who just have no allegiance to anybody anywhere, not even themselves. The the ultimate example of that is Mike Lee's film Naked, uh, yeah. which is about a guy who just he's just a rolling stone and he just uh he just any any way he can get money to keep going he will take. He doesn't care who he hurts. He has no love for anyone at all. And See that, that's a that's, movie that makes me uncomfortable. Like yeah. some people have said that Buzzword oh, makes them
2: uncomfortable. Naked makes me uncomfortable.
0: Naked is
1: an incredibly uncomfortable film. I think it's meant to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I think it I think it, it succeeds. <laughs> but I, I really uh, I I enjoyed when I was a kid, I enjoyed this book called Maniac McGee, which was about a kid oh, yeah. who, who just ran away from home. And he he runs and runs and runs. He runs into the the inner city. He makes friends with a guy named Mars Bar Thompson, and uh, <laughs> it's just – I don't even remember if it ends well, but I just really am interested in stories about people who have no moral code, you know, no love for themselves or anybody else, and then eventually their fate will catch up with them,
2: mm.
1: which the, – you know. The disaffected and the dispossessed. That's sure. it's kind of who
0: we're talking about here yeah.
2: and and you know i'm i'm not exactly on marty's level of disaffection but uh <laughs> but but you know like there's there's details about this movie that are honestly like frightening to me like the you know just working a shit job for shit pay and like just the slow boiling anger that comes from that and like yeah. playing like <laughs> and 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 being unemployed and playing NES games and eating disgusting food like I've been there like <laughs> like there's a scene where it's like two in the morning and he is playing NES and like drinking straight from a two liter of Mountain Dew and it's just I hate to admit it but I've been that guy yeah uh, so like this this movie sort of hits me there and just like I, I love yeah. the, I love the soundtrack which you know not necessarily because i'm into that kind of music myself but uh-huh. but a it's unusual music to be the soundtrack for a movie this kind of metal core that's that's playing mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing and b it gives it just this jolt of like punk rock energy
0: to it that, right. uh, that i really love well yeah yeah i i think i think one of the interesting things about this film you you just hit on jeff and that's Uh, I think where this film shines, I'm kind of, I'll I'll say from the outset, I'm sort of ambivalent about this film. Like, there are things about it that I really, really loved. uh, And there are things about it that I I was just kind of, uh, I I was just kind of disinterested in in what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think the curious thing about it is that it was almost reversed from what my expectations about a film like this would be, or about any film would be. Uh The things that I found to be the most interesting were the moments of quiet and where ostensibly nothing is happening, but so much is happening. Mm -hmm. And the parts that I found the least interesting were the ones that were the most
1: maybe dramatically sound. If that makes sense. Do you mean like the, the numerous confrontation scenes that happened, like those left something to be desired or.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. With a, with a few exceptions, I found them to be, uh, uh, not, not as interesting. I found them to be, uh, Pedestrian, not not pedestrian. I found them to be like the 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 sort of mis misanthropy that uh, uh, our hero sort of displays. uh, I would think would affect the people around him a little bit more than it seems to. Hmm. Uh, The people around him don't seem there's just sort of like oh hey yeah you know whatever. Well, well,
2: he's he's kind of faking it in his day to day life though. You know that's true. He's he's putting on his. He's not trying very hard, but he's putting up, like, the basic, like, front of I am a normal
0: human being
2: and I am here right, at work. Right,
0: the bare minimum. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, in those moments, those, those times when, for instance, he's just sitting there playing NES or he's eating spaghetti on the bed in, in, in just an incredibly sort of interminably long shot that, <laughs> of disgusting sloppiness. Yeah. Uh, I, I I found those moments to be uh, more sort of uh, revelatory about the characters than some of the 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 more conventionally dramatic scenes.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, silence speaks volumes. I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the, definitely. I mean, I feel like the uh, the confrontations that he consistently gets himself into, um, when I, when they were happening, I found myself feeling that they were a little bit unrealistic or they didn't, they didn't, they didn't happen the way I expected that they would. But now looking Mm -hmm. back on the film and, and having seen the, uh, ambiguous, uh, magical realism ending of the film, uh, that sort of calls into question the reality of everything that I, I had just witnessed. Um, so it doesn't matter that if it's not completely believable, is what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Um, and and that's, I, I think, uh, curiously enough, even though I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent about the film itself, I think that it, it would be rewarding to watch it again. Uh, I think it would reveal, I think there would be more revealed in, in sort of the, the, the cracks in the film, like sort of corners and crevices well
1: you know what i want to do is now having seen this film by myself with my you know fiance, occasionally leering forward and being like giving me the pop up (laughs) video trivia about how the spaghetti eating scene was filmed um (laughs) i kind of wish that i could have seen it in a crowded theater because i have a feeling that the reason why this movie was successful on so many film festivals is uh that it it hit upon that like that almost Napoleon Dynamite vibe where everybody's laughing at the same time consistently. And and while the character of, of Derek, which I found to be just like a really annoying punk, is probably like <laughs> eliciting nonstop laughs if this were seen in a theater full of people. Right, um, right. And I, I feel like this is a movie that really is full of silence and, and quietness. And those kind of movies often tend to have a lot of laughter in the theater because it gives people room to crack up and to really sort of observe the absurdity of what they're watching.
2: And the, the comedic bits of this movie are interesting because like the, I think part of what makes this movie so like unsettling is, is that tonal wavering it does, you know, like yeah, it, yeah. The, the whole like bit where he's in the basement with with Derek and he's staying over there, it sort of turns into this, like, really goofy comedy for, like, 15 to 20 minutes or so. And yeah. then, like, once that bit is over, it, it turns back into this uh, almost kind of social realist drama uh, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's... I, I think that's interesting what that does because, like, it, it really sets you off guard for the rest of the movie, which has these, you know, violent confrontations. It has this unpredictable character who can lash out at any moment. Um, uh, uh, what, what did you guys think of that, like,
1: whole middle bit in the basement with Derek? Like, did you find that annoying? Um, I, I, uh, I found Derek annoying. So, <laughs> so maybe in a way, yes, is the answer to your question. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it's the natural second act of the story. It's it's yeah. it's where Marty goes, uh, the first place he turns to when he goes on the lam, and then when that falls through, when he fucks that up basically, uh, then he has to go to Detroit, and I think it makes dramatic sense. Mm. And it's kind of like just sort of his his slow decline. Um, <laughs> but but at the same time, I feel like that that section is probably the part that would have garnered the most laughs in the theater
2: sure i mean well there's the treadmill scene for one which i think is hilarious <laughs> like i i could not stop laughing the first time i saw that and just like and cuz you don't know what's happening at first is the thing like it's this, the the bugles yeah the bugles <laughs> on the treadmill it's this like close up shot <laughs> and like the trailer is just go you don't know what's happening right it's, right it's almost kind of abstract like it's like a little... video game yeah. <laughs> yeah in a way yeah but like it's just these you can't tell what's happening at first because it's just these triangular shapes like on this black (laughs) backdrop and they're just like floating by and you're like, what is, what is this? What am I looking at? Right. and Like you eventually figure it out that he's, he's eating these bugles off of this treadmill and, and just like the timing of that scene is amazing because it's all in, it's one unbroken shot and they keep adding mm. (laughs) the timing of the bugles, like makes it hilarious. Like it's, it's
0: almost like the, uh, the, I love Lucy, chocolate factory. Yeah, yeah. See a sequence, you know. <laughs> That's a good
2: comparison to draw actually. <laughs> and then like at, you know, towards the end he places like a whole handful of them and the bugles just all like come and smack him in the face. And yeah, uh, I don't know. Well, I just it, found that scene really funny.
1: It is really funny yeah, yeah. and um I actually commend the filmmaker for for uh, sort of honoring the intelligence of the audience. And never cutting from that close-up shot that you just described into a wider reveal so we can all be assured, oh, this is what's actually happening. It kind of <laughs> trusts our intelligence, especially because the shot that's right before it is the two of them on the treadmill. So yeah. it, eventually, you know, you, you get the idea.
0: Yeah, and all you ever all you ever do is you hear Marty's voice, but you never see his face in that whole long, unbroken shot. Mm-hmm. Um and you just you did you're you're forced to imagine him sitting there just like shoveling bugles onto this treadmill <laughs> right. at, a,
2: exactly. at an
0: increasing rate. Um, yeah, and I, and I'll say I, I'm that the statement that you just made, Phil, uh, about honoring the intelligence of the audience, I actually that was one of the things that I really liked the most about this film. I think that uh, it didn't it didn't ever over explain anything. It didn't ever feel the need to to do too much. Probably. My favorite moment in the film, and this might seem like a very strange moment to choose, but there's a scene in the beginning of the film where he's gotten a bunch of office supplies and he takes them back to the, I don't know, the analog for Staples, whatever, whatever version of the office supply store uh, that exists in this film. And he's got his guy that he always returns. He he orders them on the company credit and then he goes and returns them at the store for cash. So he's basically just making money off the company by exchanging these Mm -hmm. uh, items. And then he comes back later in the film to do another one of these transactions and the establishing shot of him approaching the counter is the same as it was in the previous um, sequence but his stance is very guarded. He's got these uh, these office supplies sort of pressed to him and he looks very apprehensive and you instantly know before it cuts to a reverse shot of the the guy working behind the counter, you instantly know that his guy's not there anymore. I yeah. just knew it right away. I was like I was like, oh, uh oh, <laughs> this is gonna be bad news for him. Yeah. And then it plays out and it is bad news for him. Uh and I just thought it was like a wonderful sort of trusting of the audience to, to put the – because it, it lingers on that shot for a little while, for several seconds um, before cutting to the reverse shot. And I just think that that's uh, – I, I like it when filmmakers have that level of confidence.
1: Well, normally I'm a big sort of uh, hater of what's known as the shallow depth of field that you get with a mm-hmm. lot of digital SLRs. Uh, yeah, which yeah. is what a lot of young filmmakers are shooting on these days. And I'm pretty sure this is one of those films. Um, and where you do, from a photographic perspective, uh, the focus is so finicky that it's really hard sometimes to get one thing in focus and, and have it maintain focus if it's moving. Or sometimes yeah. the entire shot will be out of focus except for one small corner of the frame. And um, like I said, normally I really don't like that buzzard uses a shallow depth of field several times throughout its, throughout its duration. And the first major scene, if not the very first scene of the film, is, is just a shot of blurriness, of just abstract shapes of blurriness. And then we hear the voice of uh, this you know bank manager speaking to somebody, and then mm-hmm. Marty sits down into the shot. And he's framed and yeah. focused perfectly, so that kind of sort of like trapping. He's he's like trapped in that frame in that particular uh, position, uh, even before he speaks a single word. So I think that the the use of the blurriness, which also occurs in other places too, is not sloppy. It's not uh, you know the evidence of nincompoopery behind the camera <laughs> uh it's actually artfully done and um the, I, I respect that because normally i would think that you know that kind of blurriness is just ugly to look at and serves no purpose
0: yeah yeah and i and i think that uh, i think that that speaks to the the level of skill and talent on the part of the filmmakers um and and the aforementioned confidence that i i said i think that they're um there, there's certainly a, a voice here. I mean, there's certainly uh, a, a very distinct style and approach to this. Yeah. Uh, this film and this subject and these characters. Um, yeah, it's it's very distinct. It's it a very unusual film. It was, it was one that was unlike almost anything that I've seen in, in quite a while.
1: And I actually got even more respect for the director, too, uh, with that great... Combination of summarizing the theme of the film, along with a spot-on taxi driver reference uh, as one of the last shots of the, uh, the of last this, shot of yeah. the film. Oh, it was yeah. just, uh, yeah. it was just. I was like, all right, see, now here's somebody. <laughs> here's somebody who respects the history of film and knows that they can, you know, learn some things from the classic films. And 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 Buzzard, I think, is an unusual film, and I'm sure the director is a major movie fan um and it's it's not only is it sort of appealing to my my affinity for movies about drifters but it it appeals to my kind of nerdy film lover um uh, self as well
0: mhm
2: mm-hmm. yeah i i also want to mention Joel Birch's performance uh as yes. Marty which i think is excellent mm-hmm. um and and he does the uh he he's kind of a microcosm of of the film's tone himself in the sense that he is both hilarious and terrifying, like from one moment to the next, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he he these sudden rages that he can get into when he realizes he's trapped, when he realizes he's being accosted, he could be in trouble. Um, they're scary, and and but he also has. <laughs> My favorite line in the movie when I rewatched it this time, it totally caught me off guard. And I like was clutching my stomach for like 30 seconds or so this is when he's checking into that hotel uh, and he's talking to the lady and, you know, they're having a pretty standard like hotel conversation. And then he just ends it with, y'all got room service in this bitch.
0: <laughs> 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 it's
2: just yeah. like you know, a sudden cut to him in the hotel room. And just, yeah, just his delivery of that line is hilarious.
1: Yeah, you know, you kind of wonder if maybe that was improvised by him. Because, <laughs> Possibly uh, the uh, the spaghetti eating scene, which is maybe the most notorious scene in the movie. Um, apparently, that was not intended to be such a long shot. Yeah. Uh, but the actor uh, just kept eating the spaghetti; he wouldn't stop. So the the director basically just kind of stood back, and it was almost like a battle of endurance, <laughs> like who is gonna, who will fold first. Yeah. And Joel Petrakis
2: said he was like mesmerized by it. watching <laughs> him eat the <this> spaghetti. Like <laughs> yeah. he knew he I'm had sure, yeah. the camera rolling. Yeah. yeah,
1: and 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 he certainly did. And it's a long shot. Uh, yeah. I, I, I actually how I actually
2: long it was watching it the second time. Like it's
0: <laughs> amazingly long. And I remember seeing the trailer for this movie months and months and months ago. I remember I, I went to the IFC Center and I don't know it was before watching the the Babadook or something like that. It was quite a while ago. And I remember seeing the trailer, and it was just him sitting there eating the spaghetti, intermixed with moments of the sort of like the the metal music. Yeah, and and it was just it was such a strange trailer. I mean, you know, it's a strange movie, but it was such a, an intriguing trailer. I, yeah. I
1: feel like while there's a very obvious reference to Taxi Driver, uh, especially for if you've seen Taxi Driver, um, I felt like this the whole spaghetti scene was a an homage to clockwork orange um, because because oh. there's an epic spaghetti eating scene in that film um also by a psychotic antihero wearing mm-hmm. a bathrobe um, mm-hmm. and I, oh, thought that, yeah, I thought that I thought that there were some similarities and I, I couldn't help but think maybe there was some influence in the choice of food he was eating. try the wine <laughs> I please you mean. appreciate good wine. <laughs> Um, But yeah, but an interesting thing about the character of Marty Jakatansky is he is a unrepentant crook and and con man, yet he is absolutely incapable of being charming to anyone. Like he is so blunt and maybe that's his secret, you know, like he is just so kind of he's already... Look, he already portrays a person who's only looking out for themselves, so maybe you can relax around him in a weird way. Like maybe, you know, maybe this guy is—he's on the level. You know, he's not trying to hide anything from us.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting in that opening scene where he's uh, closing his bank account and reopening it to get fifty dollars uh, to take advantage of their like opening a checking account uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit where you know the the teller like gets up to go, you know, talk to someone about this and you just get this unbroken take of Marty's face yeah. and he's keeping it cool pretty much. Like this is another day to him practically. Like he has this just steely resolve in the face of any kind of like social awkwardness that might like come his way from doing any of this, you know, yeah, he's,
1: he's cold blooded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think he's, I think it, I mean, he, it, he's a misanthrope. He just, Doesn't like or care about other human beings at all. Right. He he's just like I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. You have proposed a deal that I'm gonna take advantage of. Now this is how we're gonna do it. And and he doesn't try to hide anything when the he says, uh, you know, his first Federal Bank is the name of the bank where he's closing and opening this uh, account. And guy asks him where do you work, and he's like, oh, First Federal. (laughs) he's like well this doesn't apply to employees he's like no I'm a temp mm. <laughs> and it's just it's just, you know it says it straight to him as though like you don't need to worry about that it's fine go ahead and give me your deal this is the way it's going to be
1: I feel like I know or have met people like this in my life oh yeah and, oh, and I, I definitely know and not like- <laughs> to stereotype but very often they dress like he does and listen to that same kind of music mm-hmm. well, stop stereotyping <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I, I think this movie has a little bit of social commentary to it, also. Um, I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of what Marty does is not on the level, but we see that he is like struggling to make ends meet. He is barely mm-hmm. like making a living doing anything he does, and he says, like, at his job, he's making nine fifty an hour. You know, you can't really live off of that, like, and mm-hmm. and he and you see him doing things that, you know are legit i mean he's he's sending in coupons to that uh pizza uh company to to get yeah, yeah pizzas off of that um and and he just uh and and you know there's the scene where he cuts his hand and he he pretends that he does it at work so he can get free treatment from the doctor and the doctor asks him you don't have health insurance do you and he says yeah, no it's is
0: very understanding about yes it. He's very yes
2: that's a, I, um, I actually cons- that's a very empathetic scene i think in a movie yeah. that doesn't have a ton of them <laughs> yeah um well i i don't know like do you think the the movie is is asking us to feel sympathy for for marty or
1: i don't think so no yeah i
0: don't i don't think it asks us to feel sympathy for him i think it's asking us just to simply observe him and behold him and and i think it's also curious that the setting is detroit and maybe that's just a setting of convenience maybe that's where joel patrikas is based out of mm.
2: uh
0: but uh i think that you know if you are gonna look at this as a form of social commentary i i don't think that there okay. that should be lost on anyone the fact that it is in detroit and this is
1: economically uh, someone
0: depressed who, area economically depressed area this is somebody who who has a job like a what should be a legit Job that allows them to earn a living wage and not have to do all of this mm. stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess on that uh, on that level, it's very interesting, and I hadn't really thought about that, Jeff.
2: But it, and, and it shows how you know people who already have um, a tendency towards this sort of behavior, like that kind of ruthless capitalism, can sort of drive them to ever more sociopathic extremes and
1: indeed that's, the whole film is about capitalism isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> <college>. <laughs> in a way in a way i think it is the microcosm mm-hmm. indeed well, we haven't even mentioned his awesome radical freddy krueger power glove oh yeah uh, which is which is a great <laughs> sort of uh body part that's with him mm-hmm. through the whole film like just like in uh, chinatown Jake Giddy's bandage around his nose becomes part of his character. Uh, I really felt like uh, in this case, the hand with the the blades coming out of it was was part of his character. Um, mm-hmm. And it's certainly a kind of a fun and creative thing to do, is to, to retrofit a, a Nintendo Power Glove with these knifes, knives for like Freddy Krueger style blades. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of it really, I think, is has a lot of portent to it. It's, it's you could definitely read into that that glove that he wears as being an extension of his personality. I think. Mm,
2: well, it's a childish thing, you know. He's um he's kind of stuck uh, playing these video games from thirty years ago. He's he's fascinated by horror movies, you know, from his teenage years. Probably, like he's he's got. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's also like a cool, violent thing that, that mm-hmm. he's, you know that so I, I think um you know, I, I think that NES plays such a central role in this movie, like is part of why I like it so much also. Uh yeah. I I I, I love old video games, so that's just a very personal thing to me. Any like movie that features that in uh a big way yes. <laughs> is going to appeal
0: to me. Here's a quick question that I have. Is there anything in this film that sets it in time outside of the 80s or maybe the early 90s? I was thinking about this after I saw it. I'm not like you never see anybody using a cell phone. You never see anybody uh, with a flat screen television or flat screen. You know what? That's true. And the TVs
2: at the end, like they are, they don't look like, you know, TVs from Mm. damn. That's a good point. Kind of reminds me about that
1: another Michigan-set film from this year. It follows, it follows that yeah. a, yeah. sort of out of time. Yeah, it only has that one kind of
0: strangely anachronistic detail in it yeah. of the the e-reader. Holy um, shit,
2: man! It didn't even occur to me that this might not actually take place in present day.
0: Yeah, I like. I just you know, I I I can't think of anything that. Sets it unless unless you could unless you're like a super geek and you're like oh the model of that phone that they're using at the <laughs> office is not that Cisco model wasn't released until 2003 you know were ATMs
2: widely know. in use like in the 80s or
0: oh that's a good point I they wasn't do go to the ATMs. oh and they are able to deposit through the ATM so that wasn't until the 2000s mm-hmm. uh, he, well and that's
2: he uses a payphone also
0: well I think I, think I don't I don't, I don't think
1: that. Joel Petroikus was intending to make a film set in the 90s or set in the 80s or set in the 2010s. I think he just wanted to make a timeless movie, which is what all good filmmakers should aspire to. They don't want to include details that are going to date their film in a bad mm. way, you know, 5 years down the road. So, I think I don't know if he's trying to make a point with the sort of the the fact that there aren't a lot of details that clue in it that it's present day. I think he's just basically sort of well, uh, I I, I think rule,
2: I, I think the fact that he's playing these old video games though like is significant in some way and like suggestive well, kind of of a of a stunted arrest evidence, and development
1: right yeah right. right yeah but I don't necessarily I think that it makes more sense that he's playing these games which are thirty years old rather than these games which just came out five or ten years ago
0: right yeah 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 agreed. Well, uh, the film is Buzzard. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating movie, and actually talking with you guys about it makes me
1: want to return to it in a strange way. <laughs> so, so
0: Philip, did you uh,
1: did
2: you actually like it? I didn't get an uh, overall impression from you.
1: My overall blanket statement is yes, I did like it. Yeah. 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 All right. You, you like the the these
0: kinds of films? You said sure. Right? I, yes. They <laughs> were my kind of film. <laughs> so uh yeah i i still I, i'm still on the fence about it i still think that there's great stuff here and there's also some uh less engaging stuff uh but i i definitely do want to return to it at some point and uh and take a look at it again uh thank you so much jeff for recommending the film thanks for watching it uh yeah thanks for coming on the show yeah. and talking about it uh always a pleasure mm-hmm uh, and we hope that you out there listening will join us for our next episode when we will be talking about the new Ron Howard film,
1: In the Heart of the Sea. It's actually his long awaited sequel to Splash. <laughs> wow, wow.
0: <laughs> it is, uh,. It, it's positioned as something that's going to be a big awards contender. But uh, on this, the day that we were recording this episode, the Golden Globe nominations came out and it's nowhere to be seen. So, right. Uh, should be interesting uh, to talk about. You're so.
1: actually touching on one of my other favorite genres of film is the adventure at sea with undersea creatures and monsters. Ooh. I love Ooh, yeah. Like What's that.
2: your favorite movie in that genre?
1: Uh, Jaws.
2: Oh, okay. Of course,
0: of course. All right, so thank you everybody for listening. Thanks, Jeff, for being on the show again. And we hope you will listen to us next time. Thanks a lot.